As always, it is a privilege and honor to preach the Word of God this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you are true. Everything you say is true. Everything you do is true. And we can rely on you. So, Father, I ask that through your Spirit, you'll give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to receive your word. And so we come with expectation to hear from you this morning through the power of your word. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. There was once a shepherd boy who was bored as he sat on the hillside watching the village sheep. To amuse himself, he took a great breath and shouted, Wolf! Wolf! A wolf is chasing the sheep! The villagers came running up as as they got to the top of the hill. There was no wolf. The villagers said, Don't cry wolf when there's no wolf. And they went back down and he was giggling to himself. Later on, he got bored again, so out of amusement, he cries, Wolf! Wolf! The wolf is chasing the sheep again. To his delight, he watched the villagers villagers run up the hill to drive away the wolf when there was no wolf. And once again, the villagers said, Do not cry wolf when there is no wolf. Some time passed again, and the shepherd boy looks up, and he actually sees a wolf coming, prowling, to take his flock. Alarmed, he leaped up to his feet and sang out loud, Wolf! Wolf! But the villagers thought he was just fooling them again, and so they didn't come. At sunset, everyone wondered why the shepherd boy hasn't returned. So they went up to the hill to find him weeping. The boy said, There really was a wolf here. The flock scattered. Why didn't you come? Old man came to confront him. And said, nobody believes a liar, even when he's telling the truth. This is a fable that we tell our kids. It's a fable that we may have heard as a kid ourselves. But I think it has great importance for us today. And it gets to the heart of what Jesus is talking about. As disciples of Christ, we must be truth tellers. We live in a world where all around us there is deceit, there is lies, cheating, half-truths, white lies. It feels like almost our society is built around these things. We're so often trying to untangle what is true from what is false. We question everyone and everything, whether that's posts we see on Facebook or Uh, news, whether that's our doctors or our lawyers, our politicians, our teachers, our mechanics, our parents, and even sometimes our pastors and preachers. But what Jesus is getting at in our text this morning, in his tent for our text this morning, is as disciples of Christ, we must be truth tellers. 
And so with that in mind, let's enter into Matthew chapter 5. If you haven't already, I would encourage you to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 5 or pull it up on your phone or tablet. If you don't have a Bible or are unable to pull it up on your phone or tablet, we do have a Bible in pew in front of you. But like usual, we're going to walk through this text this morning, slowly making some observations along the way and also some application. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33. Jesus says this, Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, You must not break your oath, but you must keep your oath to the Lord. We see a familiar phrasing that we've been looking at throughout the last couple weeks. You have heard it said. Something familiar, we've heard this before, but look at the first word that becomes before this phrase, again. This is a significant word, it's a, maybe a word that we usually would glance over, but it is a significant word because it's connecting what Jesus has already said, especially in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, where he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. He's continued to connect it back to there. But he's also saying this is a new topic. While it's related to everything we've talked about thus far, it's also a new topic. And so we enter the second triad of antithesis. We already looked at murder and adultery and divorce. And now we're going to look at another triad from truth-telling the next week, going the second mile. And then after um, Easter, we'll look at love your enemies. So today... We're going to look at oaths and truth-telling. So we have this again. You have heard it said. And then he quotes, usually quoting some Old Testament scripture. But what's interesting here, he doesn't actually have a direct word-for-word quote, but he's summarizing several Old Testament scripture. Uh, We can assume that he probably has scripture like Leviticus 19.12 in the back of his mind or Numbers 32, or Deuteronomy 23, 21. While we won't look at those this morning, those are all verses surrounding oaths. And so what he's doing, he says this, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oath to the Lord. He's summarizing this law, and he uses this word oath several times. And in the Greek, there are two different words. I think he's emphasizing two different parts of an oath. The one definition that we can give to this is that you should not bear false witness. You should speak the truth. The second definition that we could do and use today is if you promise something, if you take an oath, you better fulfill it. This is what the law commanded if you're going to take an oath. Now, as we may guess, throughout tradition, and especially in Jewish culture, this wasn't always the case. But if we have continued tracking with what the Pharisees and scribes have been doing with the law, we could assume that they're going to twist and use the law for their advantage. And in reality, oaths back in this time, was a very common practice. 
But instead of oaths made to promote truth, they were using oaths to promote deceit and lies. And this is what I mean. For them, we have writings that talk about different oaths. And really, they were developing a system to have loopholes to get out of their oaths that they would have. And, and so it may look something like this. If it's only binding if we use the name of our Lord, our God. So I'll give you an example of what this may look like today. If Mark Hoffman came up to me and said, Hey, Drew, you promised that you were going to pay me back yesterday. If I was a good Pharisee and using the loopholes, I would say, Well, Mark, if we go back to that conversation, I actually never said, I swear to God, I will pay you back. What I actually said was, I crossed my heart and hope to die. So therefore, I'm really not going to pay you back. Now, don't worry, I don't owe Mark. I'm not trying to get out of a debt that I owe him. But the only words for scribes and Pharisees that were binding to an oath if we used the name of the Lord. Everything else was not binding, and therefore we could use for deceit and lies. Let's keep this in the back of our mind then as we enter into verses 34 and following. Join with me in verse 34. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it's God's throne, or by earth because it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black. So he's going to take what they've thought about oaths, what they've written about oaths, and he's going to clarify what he means. So we read in verse 34, but I tell you, don't take an oath. There's a tradition that will take this seriously, that we shouldn't even take an oath under law, in courts. And I don't think this is what Jesus is saying, but because he adds right away some qualifiers. And we will see that throughout Scripture, we do see God himself actually take some oaths, as the author of Hebrews says. But what I think he's getting at is the heart. An understanding that as disciples of Christ, we must be truth-tellers, And understanding that when we take an oath, we must do so knowing that every oath is binding. And he will explain why. So let's read through this. We should not take an oath either by heaven. Why? Because it is God's throne. This is where God dwells. This His throne signifies his power, his kingdom. When where is it located? It is located in heaven, declaring that heaven belongs to God. And if heaven belongs to God, he has engraved his glory into heaven. And so even though they may be taking something maybe related to God, they're not actually using the name of God, 
So it's okay to swear by, and Jesus said, no, 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 no. This is God's. He is on the throne of, in heaven. And what the Jewish and Pharisees and scribes would do is take something that was sacred and make it secular. And what Jesus is going to do is say, no, no, no. This isn't secular, it is sacred. Let's imagine our president, if we think of our president, he has a sacred office, the Oval Office, and in that office he has his desk and chair. And I don't know about you, but I, I'm pretty sure that not just anyone can go into that office and sit in that chair and start pulling out your laptop and start doing work. That is reserved for the president, and it signifies his power and his position. In the same way, while the throne is not God, it signifies his power and position, that he is God, he is king, and all of heaven belongs to him. And so even though we may not be saying the name of God, heaven belongs to him and has been engraved with his glory. Okay, so we can't swear by heaven. How about earth? Well, Jesus keeps going. Do not swear or take an oath by earth because it is his footstool. What does this mean? Is God just up in heaven with, on his throne, just kicking up his feet on earth? What Jesus is getting at is, first, God is superior to everything on earth. Why? Because he's not a created being, but because he is the creator. And being the creator, then, everything on earth belongs to God. And if earth belongs to God, then he's also engraved his glory into the earth. And so, the earth is no longer secular as well. It is also sacred because it belongs to God. Okay, so we don't swear by heaven. We don't swear by earth. How about Jerusalem? Well, Jesus, again, makes another reasoning why we can't swear by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. It's not surprising to me, or I don't think it's a coincidence, that we have royalty language all throughout this passage as we've been looking at the kingdom of God. And we see that Jerusalem is a city chosen by God, is where the king of God, the great king, God himself, dwells. It's his city, and so therefore even Jerusalem belongs to God. And Jerusalem is no longer a secular city, but is a sacred city because it belongs to God. And it's in Jerusalem where God has engraved his glory. All right, fine. How about can't swear by heaven? Can't swear by earth. Can't swear by Jerusalem. How about if I swear by my own head? (laughs) Jesus has another response. Do not swear by your own head. Why? Because you can't even make a single hair white or black. What Jesus, again, is communicating is that even your head, because you and me are created, we also belong to God. God has engraved his glory upon us and we belong to him. And so, therefore, we are no longer secular, but we are sacred. So we should not even swear by our own heads. So we see 
heavens is God's, earth is God's, Jerusalem is God's, we are God's. Not we are God's, we are, belong to God. I'll make sure no one twists my words there. There's no part of this world in which God has not engraved his mark of his glory. Therefore, whatever we swear by is always related to God in some way, and therefore oaths that we take, whether implicitly of God's name or not, is a binding oath. And this is what Jesus is communicating to his hearers. That every oath that we take is a binding oath because in some way it does relate to God. So knowing that everything belongs to God because he is the creator of all, is then, it is then sinful and wicked to use anything of God's creation or God's name as a witness to anything that is dishonest, deceitful, and false. Let me say that again. Knowing that everything belongs to God, because He is the creator of all, it is then sinful and wicked to use anything of God's creation or God's name as a witness to anything that is dishonest, deceitful, and false. One commentator, William Barclay, says this, Here is a great eternal truth. Life cannot be divided into compartments, in some of which God is involved and in others of which he is not involved. There cannot be one kind of language in the church and another kind of language in the shipyard or the factory or the office. There cannot be one kind of conduct in the church and another kind of conduct in the business world. The fact is that God does not need to be invited into certain departments of life and kept out of others. He is everywhere, all through life and in every activity of life. He hears not only the words which are spoken in his name, he hears all words, and there cannot be any such thing as a form of words which evades bringing God into any transaction. We will regard all promises as sacred if we remember that all promises are made in the presence of God. This drives straight into the heart of what Jesus is communicating through his teaching. That there is no such thing as some binding oaths and non-binding oaths. For God is everywhere. He hears everything. He sees everything. So even if we make an oath or promise in private, he sees it and he hears it. If we make our oath to our spouse or our kids, he sees it and hears it. If we make our oath or promise to, you know, with our coworkers or employer, he sees it and he hears it. Everything we utter is in the presence of God. And so the first application of this text then is we must be very careful with our words. Every normal word in the course of daily use should be truthful. As disciples of Christ, we must be truth tellers. A person's word, message, or speech should be as good as his bond and as good as an oath. We see examples of this, both poor examples and good examples. Some poor examples, if we remember the story of uh, Jephthah in the Old Testament, goes out to battle, God gives him a victory, and he makes an oath, Whoever, whatever comes out of my house first, I will sacrifice. And who comes out of his house first? 
his daughter. He's not careful with his words. In the New Testament, we have Herod the Tetrarch. He also made an oath. For his daughter was dancing before him and pleased him. And so he made an oath to give him Give her anything that she desired. And what did that result to? The beheading of John the Baptist. How about Peter? Jesus says to Peter, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. On that third time, a young woman saw Peter and said, hey, you are one of the disciples. And Matthew records this in Matthew 26. He says, then Peter started to curse And to swear with an oath. Same words that we're looking here in Matthew chapter 5. He says, Peter says, I don't know that man. Can you imagine after realizing what Peter has just done? The intensity of why he weeps. So we must be careful with our words. And what we make oaths and promises for. Let me give one more example, maybe a little modern day example. Imagine a couple, and the wife asks the husband, hey, can you do some tasks around the house? These aren't big tasks. It's tasks like taking out the garbage, maybe changing the light bulb and cleaning up the clothes on his side of the bedroom. Husband says, yep, sure, mm-hmm, got it, we'll do. See a couple of you nodding, you know where this is going. So the husband says that and gets right back to whatever he was doing. That evening comes, garbage is still there, light bulb hasn't been changed, clothes are still on the floor. Next day comes, garbage is still there, light bulb hasn't changed, clothes are still on the floor. And this becomes a habit. So the wife asks again, can you do these things? want to make sure that the wife is not the one at fault. She's being the responsible one. It's the husband who is saying yes, who is giving almost this oath, but not following through. And so if this becomes habit, it happens over and over and over again. The next time that the wife asks to do such tasks, how much faith does she have in her husband to follow through? Very little. And so the husband, knowing that the wife doesn't fully trust him, he must make a promise. And so next time the wife says, hey, can you take out the trash? He may say something like this, yes, I promise, I swear I will do it. Because you see, when we use oaths, the only really reason why we use oaths or need oaths is only if a person's word alone is unreliable. It is an admission of failure to tell the truth. So we must be careful with our words. We must, as disciples of Christ, we must be truth tellers. Another application, this comes straight from Jesus himself. And it's the last verse in our section our passage today, Matthew uh, verse, chapter 5, verse 37. Jesus says this. After saying everything you just said, he gives us an exhortation. But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Our word 
itself should be as good as binding as if we were to take an oath. And this isn't just how we should have our conduct here in the church, but this is how we should operate with our families. So if we tell our kids to do something, or if we tell our kids that we will do something, they should trust that we will fulfill that. Our neighbors, when we interact with our neighbors, that they should have complete trust that whatever we say, we will do. Same with our, our, with our co-workers and our employers. That we don't need to go above and beyond saying, yes, I'll do that, or no, I can't do that right now. We shouldn't need to make these extra promises of, yes, I promise I will do this. Because our word is binding. And so as disciples of Christ, we must be truth tellers. We also, with all of this, then get a little glimpse of the kingdom of God. We get a little glimpse of kingdom ethics. We live in a culture right now where it's very hard to distinguish what is truth and what is false. We live in a culture where we have a lot of half-truths or white lies, and so there's a little bit of truth in there, but there's other motives going on. This isn't so in the kingdom of God. And we can have hope that knowing in the kingdom of God God himself is true, and everything he says is true, and we could take him at his word. How freeing would that is that? One last application point for today. And this comes from our passage, but it's also stringing everything that we've talked about for the last couple weeks. I don't know about you, even as I preached this and I studied this, I feel a heaviness. Not just from this text, but the text that came before this as well. And sometimes we can bear this heaviness for a little bit, but then we want to put it aside and keep moving on. But this heaviness is because Jesus is revealing the holiness of God. We're having a clear mirror of how far fall, how sorry, how far we fall from the glory of God. We're seeing clearly God's holiness and we are when we see the God's holiness, we have the heaviness of holiness. And the more we see God's holiness, the heavier that holiness becomes. Let me give an example. Picture a clean-cut kid. He's 18, gets good grades, obeys his parents, loves his brothers and sisters, visits grandma from time to time, doesn't go party, he doesn't stay out late, doesn't fool around with other girls. He goes to church each week and even prays each night before He goes to bed. This is a good kid. This is a boy most parents want their daughters to bring home someday. With his handling of the law, Jesus tells 
this good kid to sit down and hold out his hand. Then our Lord proceeds to place his heavy commands, that heavy command upon this young man. And a conversation between Jesus and young man may be something like this. Jesus says, have you ever murdered somebody? Young man, no, sir, of course not. Jesus, well, what I mean is, have you ever lost your temper? Have you ever let your speech, biting, hurtful word fly from your mouth like you blockhead or you foolish idiot? Young man, yes, sir. Jesus says, all right, here's 200 pounds. Hold it in your right hand. Are you ready for the next question? Here it is. Have you ever committed adultery? No, sir, I'm not even married. Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. My question is, has nothing to do with marriage. Let me put it this way. Have you ever thought any, have you ever had any impure thoughts about any girl? Young man, yes, sir. Of course, sir. Jesus said, ah, I thought so. Well, here you go, another 200 pound weight. Put this in your left hand. Have you ever broken an oath? Young man, I've never had to swear under oath. Jesus, I'm not talking about anything Uh, talk about anything binding, but even broken a promise. Yes, sir. Jesus says, all right, here's another 200-pound weight to place on your back. At this point, Jesus looks at his poor soul and notices his discomfort, says, shall I go on? The young man answers, no, sir, please stop. I get the point. Sometimes we can feel like this when we study texts like this. But what is the point? The point is often we don't feel the heaviness of holiness. It is a very uncomfortable and almost unbearing weight to understand and see God's holiness. But it does a few things for us. First, it reminds us to be poor in spirit. When we started the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. It also reminds us how unrighteous we are and how much we are in need of a Savior. And I pray as we continue through these passages that we just won't drop the weight of the heaviness of holiness, but we will allow that to lead us to the cross. We are reminded that the road to heaven is not paved with good intention, good works, or even keeping the works of the law if that could be done. But it has been already paved by the man of sorrows who bled for our sins, who carried the cross of our condemnation and died so we might live. We must regularly draw a line from these texts straight to the cross of Christ and hear the words of Christ that it is finished. So through faith in Christ, we are justified. Through faith in Christ, we are sanctified. By being in Christ, we are called holy and blameless. And so now we can look at these texts. We can see what the kingdom of God is like. We can see the glory of God and know that He is working in us because of the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that has risen Christ from the dead. And while we will never be perfect on this side of eternity, 
we have a future hope that one day we will be in the presence of God where there will be no more lies, no more cheating, no more deceit. But there will be truth. And only truth. And we look forward to that day. But in the meantime, as we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, and we become disciples of Jesus Christ, may we be truth tellers. May we tell the whole truth May we tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So brothers and sisters, may we be very careful with the words that we utter, the promises and oaths that we make. May we have the reputation of being truth-tellers. May, when we feel the heaviness of these texts, may we draw a straight line to the cross of Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that you are true. Everything you say is true. Everything you do is true. So, Father, I pray that we, through the power of your Spirit, will be truth-tellers. That we'll not back away or shrink from what you have declared is true. Pray that we won't give false witness. That we won't declare something true when we know it's false. And this is only done through the power and working of your Holy Spirit. So be with us this week. May we be truth tellers. In Jesus' name, amen.